everybody. Um, I wanted to uh, uh, let you all know that today is Latin Equal Pay Day. Does everybody know what that is, generally speaking? What is it? I know that Latinas are, you know, adversely affected by gender. So today is the day that, on average, folks have to work, uh, Latino women have to work to catch up to the average white male salary the year before. And like, that's a long time. That's almost, almost a whole year. Almost a whole year. Um, so today we're gonna learn a little bit about the law and we're also gonna learn a little bit about how people can mobilize their rights. And we have uh, an array of experts here um, and I will let them introduce themselves just because I know they've got, they've got too many relevant experiences to share. <laughs> but apparently also there's some a Peace Corps, right? Peace Corps Yep. Um, and now at the EEOC. Yeah. And so um, for those of you who are kind of networking and figuring out different kinds of ways you might apply what you um, are learning, how you might kind of move from scholar, uh, from student and uh, to the career paths um, and apply some social justice principles in your work, I would invite you to kind of chat with folks as well. Um, so. Welcome to Mosaic. I hope that you come here again when you're not here for presentation. Um, it's open pretty much every day and you can study. You can secretly print. <laughs> I know that's an attractive feature on people right down on campus. Um, and um, so it's a, it's a space for cross-cultural exchange and um, uh, we've got a lot of cool folks working here this semester so uh, this academic year. So please do uh, keep an eye out and come back and hang out with us. Um, all right, so I will let uh, Bruce, would you like to introduce you yourself? Start? Yeah, go ahead and introduce yourself while I pull okay. this up. Um, I, my name's Ruth, I am a lawyer, and I uh, work at Santa Clara University Law School, and I teach a workers' rights class, and I, ha I supervise a clinic for, it's pre predominantly, it's definitely all low income because we have an income uh, guidelines and uh, mostly immigrant clients and I did work at the EOC um, at one point in my life um, in law school I interned at the National Labor Relations Board um, I did uh, I was in a PhD program but I didn't do the thesis I went and taught with the it's I'm Canadian, so it was the Canadian Peace Corps in Sierra Leone. And then um, I became a machinist, um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that, and a, a union rep for Service Employees International, uh, and I, uh, I represented in-home support workers um, and uh, other, uh, some county workers, and I now coordinate a wage theft coalition uh, to try to get legislation to help people collect when they have judgments. I'm legal services chair of the South Bay Coalition to End Human Trafficking. And uh, with Linda, we're part of the Bay Area Equal Pay Collaborative. There's probably some other things I left out, but that's, <laughs> that's it for now, Linda. So, it's so exciting to be here. Thank you so much for showing up. I know it's late, it's dinner time, and here you are to learn about equal pay. And I'm so happy to be partnering up with Ruth. We've done this presentation a couple of times 
Um, Ruth is an amazing partner and resource. If you want to learn about how to be an advocate on so many issues, Ruth is so plugged in and connected. She really gets it. She, she was a former colleague when she mediated at EEOC, and since then it's become even more of a pleasure to continue working with her on so many levels. Um, so I work at the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which is the federal agency that enforces laws against employment discrimination and harassment. And I have worked there for over 20 years now. Um, I'm not an attorney, I'm not an investigator. I have to say, I feel like I have the best job in the agency because my job is to do outreach and education. My job is to talk to different audiences and try to make our laws and process accessible to the different audiences. So I get to talk to a wide range of people about a wide range of issues. Um, but today we want to talk to you about Equal Pay Day, uh, Latina Equal Pay Day. So happy to be here. Um, let's launch into our first icebreaker. This one's mine. This one's yours. This one's mine. Okay. <clears throat> As part of our exercise, um, I would love for you to turn to the person near you. You can get into pairs or you can get into trios. Please turn to the person you know, maybe ask somebody you don't know, and introduce yourself to this person. And uh -oh, as you're doing this, please tell them how much money you make at your last job. Ooh. <laughs> Wait, nobody's doing this. No, I'm trying to think of which my last job is. <laughs> Please come on um, Oh, oh, okay, you know what? You are count because you're in a union and everyone knows how much you make. So I don't know if you, if you just came in, our icebreaker. So why did it advance? I don't know, I can't get it here. Here's the point that advance. It doesn't seem to be advancing either. It's very hard for us to talk about equal pay because do you feel comfortable talking about how much money you make and comparing it to how much somebody else makes. We are not trained, we are not comfortable, we don't have a cultural norm of talking about money, right? So that's the first thing we need to acknowledge. If we're gonna tackle the issue of equal pay, we need to develop the skills for talking about it and acknowledge it's not a comfortable thing. Um, the follow-up, this is Ruth's, right? Okay. <laughs> yes. Can you be punished? How many people think that you can be disciplined for talking about your pay or that your company can enact a policy that says that you will be disciplined or fired if you talk about your pay. How many think yes? Okay. How many think no? All right. Um, sometimes companies enact policies that say that it's private, that it's confidential. How many again think that it's confidential what you earn? How many think no? Okay, the no's are right. And there's two sets of laws. In California, we have the California Fair Pay Act, which is basically an equal pay act, but it also has uh, covers race and ethnicity. And it says that uh, you, your employer cannot enact policies or cannot discipline you for talking about what you earn. And that's important because how can you know that a man, or if it's race or ethnicity, um, someone who's white makes more or less unless you know what they earn, right? There's also the National Labor Relations Act. And 
talking about your salary is considered protected concerted activity. And the National Labor Relations Act has to do with unions and forming unions. So how can you tell that you have to get together to fight for or to struggle for uh, better pay and working conditions if you don't know what your pay is? So as long as you are complaining or asking uh, somebody else, it has to be concerted, like two or more people, then you're protected under that. So no, uh, those who said yes were wrong. And I understand though why you said yes, because in this society, it's frowned upon to talk about your salary. And I know myself, my, the first law firm I worked at, I got a bonus and he said, don't tell anybody. Right. And so that was a law. This is the start of us talking about the difference between what the law says and what people expect to do, right? Just because that's a norm or what people are asking of you, it may not jive with what the law says. So it's good to know your rights, right? Next slide. Oh, for some reason, yeah, it isn't funky, and I'm not sure why that is. It's very temperamental. Yeah. Next page down. Let's see. That do we do? No. It? no. I, yeah. How about this? Um, this doesn't seem Oh, I unplugged it because I was thinking oh, that okay. was the problem. But let's try it again. Sorry about the technological difficulties. Do you want to just do it yeah, verbally? Yeah, I will do it. Okay. So, um, father and son are in an accident. Kid is rushed to the hospital where the head surgeon is waiting, scalpel in hand. Taking one look at the kid, the surgeon announces, I can't operate on this boy. He's my son. How many of you have heard this joke before? Okay. You've heard the joke before. Don't give out the punchline. Don't punch give line. it up. Have you heard it? You heard it before? You've heard it. Yeah. So you know it. Okay. So those who haven't heard it before, can you explain it? No? What do you think the punchline is here? Is this confusing at all? First you hear that the father and son, right? And then when you, they get there, though, the surgeon says, wait, 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 this is my son. We just were told that the father was in the accident. How is this possible? Is there a conflict? Can you figure out how it would make sense? Or, or do you see a conflict? How has our society evolved think, yeah, no. there's not a conflict? <laughs> I tried to do this and someone said, well, his husband. Yeah, that so they could, skipped over that, the, the no, potential gender could, one. No, but that could be. I mean, that's something that people don't think of. But it could definitely be a same-sex couple. Okay, you know it. What's the punchline? Um, it's his mom. It's his mom. Right. Yeah. But we don't think about that. And yes, this like in my experience, if I like if I say this to typically not every time, if I say it to like a guy. He assumes like, oh, what? Like this is confusing. And if it's, if I say it to a woman, she's like, but mom, duh. <laughs> yeah, but I've said it to women that haven't got it either. Cause, and I was always calling doctors he. Now I call them she all the time. But yeah, so we live in a world where we associate, we stereotype things. We think of doctors as men. And we also, when you look at what, what other kind of stereotypes exist, can you think about things you might buy or things out there in the world, um, colors, things like, I'm giving you hints here, um, that, that might suggest boys versus girls? Blue I'm yeah. sorry. Blue versus pink. Oh yeah, blue versus pink. What else? What if you go to a toy store? 
Barbie dolls. There's like the girl section and the boys section, and they always think that girls don't want um, the kind of toys that boys do. So we're sending messages early about what we expect from girls and boys. Do you feel like you're influenced by cultural norms at all? <coughs> How many think they are? Yeah, I think we all are. Do you have a rough idea of what you could earn in the field you're interested in? How would you find out? Look on what? Google it or glass door maybe? They didn't have these back in the day. <laughs> Salary.com. Yeah. Salary.com, exactly. Glass door is good. So. Linda's going to show so you. So I think there's a handout floating around there. If you didn't get one, you're welcome to get more. Um, one of the ways we wanted to illustrate, you know, you would think what your, you know, that eternal question we get when we're growing what do you want to be when you grow up, right? You would think that would not be tied to gender. And yet, like so many things in our society, it can be. So to that extent, we decided to go back to basics, go back to elementary school, and create a cootie catcher or a fortune teller. Is that what they look like? Yes. I, I don't know what you call them. There's a great book out there called The Cootie Catcher, and they have all different questions you can ask people. So this question is, this is our equal pay fortune teller. You can fold it up, lay it with other people, and I hope you engage with it and look at the statistics. Because no matter what profession you decide to pick, and does anybody want one does right now? Can, we can pass it to you. No, I mean, just go ahead and pick the profession you might be leaning to or that you're curious about. And if you open up the cootie catcher, it will tell you what the wage gap is and it will tell you um, what the workforce numbers uh, are. And I thought it was interesting in putting it together to see is there a correlation where if there are more women, does that reduce the discrimination? Does that dis uh, reduce the wage gap? I invite you to go ahead and play around with the information, look at them, do a comparison. One of the categories we put in here was the difference between, um, which one am I thinking of? <laughs> Where is it? Janitor maid. Does it matter if you if you're cleaning up? Does it matter if you're called a janitor versus a maid? And does it matter if you're a male janitor, or female janitor? Um, you know, there's still a disparity. I mean, again, we have to look at specifics. This is sort of a general pattern, but this data, I think I what did I pull it up on? I think I cite it on the page. This data, okay, comes from 2016 American Community Survey because I wanted to pull it up. But even if you look at the 2018, whatever most recent data is out there, you'll see that the gap persists, right? And you'll see that some workforces are less well integrated than others. We sometimes call those workforces non-traditional, whether it's non-traditional for women or non-traditional for men. And I think, you know, I, I know even when I was growing up, which now is a long time ago, <laughs> I thought, oh yeah, sexism, that's in the past. I don't have to face that in my future. But if you look at the current data, you it know, isn't much different there's still that gap. Yeah. The gap is not going away, right? 
and it can be surprising. You know, you're like, why aren't we over this? And we have laws now because the laws that the EOC enforces, it has to be the same job. But in California now, if it were a maid and a janitor, that's comparable. The jobs are require similar skill, effort, responsibility. Then you could bring a claim if there was a difference. Of course, just like the salary disclosures, people don't know that they have those rights. So at least it's hit the consciousness of the legislators, but it really hasn't changed and something really needs to be done. So I think we kind of talked our way through some of this and talking about the persistence of the wage gap and maybe, but just to draw a line under it, right? Um, when we look at these numbers, sometimes people say, well, you know, um, statistics lie, you can make statistics say anything. Or in other cases, they're like, oh, maybe women tend to choose those part-time jobs. Um, you know, sometimes, let's also admit that there's this thing out there called, has anybody heard of stereotype threat? This is a psychological phenomenon. Um, one time they were conducting a test of, of, um, of stereotype threat, a psychological test. So what they did was, before taking a test, they reminded people of the stereotype that African Americans do tend to do more poorly on a test. Right before taking a test, they were reminded of their race. And then just with that subtle reminder, then people um, were primed to do worse. They did worse, even though they had the same skills and abilities than the control group that was not reminded of race. So there's sometimes this thing called a stereotype threat. If you hear a negative stereotype, it can kind of reinforce or prime you to a different behavior. I mean, isn't that a kind of crazy effect? So there are all these kind of things that can be pitfalls out there for trying to explain why there may be a gap. What we are trying to do is let's try to restore a level playing field. Let's try to talk about equality because there's something in equality for everyone, no matter what your gender, no matter what your ethnicity. There's something in it for us all. We're, we're as human beings, we're primed to respond to fairness. We're primed to want that. And so that's part of why we present this to you all. We're not gonna get there without everybody participating and everybody contributing to this struggle. And, and another one of these stereotypes that has to do with gender has to do with girls or women aren't good in math. And I know math teachers that spend their first few math periods in high school trying to disabuse people of that, but they tend to internalize that and when you do that, then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, even though women are just the same in math as men. So the next um, slide is about me, and <laughs> I was a machinist um, for 15 years. Um, I dropped out of a PhD pro program I had been to Sierra Leone, and I really wanted to work for a union, but I figured that I, had, I should probably do some sort of relevant work before I do that and it really it was an adjustment um, for everyone like the men weren't very excited to have a woman working there and uh, the the idea even though I had gone to junior college at night 
and while I was um, doing it in school, and I learned how to be a machinist, and I'd even worked in another place before, but they made me a labor grade six, and they put me on the same machine as a man. It was a, a type of lathe, a turret lathe. And I would come in during the day, I would make the part, he would come finish the part, he would stop the part, you know, he would start a new part, I would finish it. So we were doing identical work. But I was labor grade six and he was labor grade nine. And uh, that didn't seem right to me, so I wait, it was, it, there was a union there. And I don't know if there hadn't been a union there, I might have been afraid. But I uh, did, I filed an EOC claim, I filed a grievance, I waited till I was off probation to do this. And sure enough, the Friday before my Monday EOC um, appointment, which I had told them about, uh, they did promote me. And there were also welders there as well, and they were, this was even more dramatic, they were called assemblers. They were labor grade two. The male welders were labor grade seven. And um, they uh, were using the same, they were doing the same thing. I just kept walking back and forth. I couldn't believe it. And sure enough, um, we did file another EOC claim and they were moved over with the men. The men weren't thrilled at all. And they weren't thrilled with me either. At the beginning it was pretty hard um, in terms of their, you know, just the way I was treated. But then when I became a shop steward, they told me I was a man in a woman's body So because I fought for them. So I was kind of honorary. Um, so, um, and, uh, and another example is the Les Schwab case. So there was a woman who was hired, uh, first they refused to hire uh, women in sales and service department jobs, and those were jobs where they mounted, dismounted, repaired, and rotated tires. And the, the woman who brought this claim said, I started at the bottom, worked up to sales and management for a Les Schwab tire store, but when corporate took over the store, they demoted me to bookkeeper. When I asked about my prior position, I was told no gal in the company would, should, would ever make that kind of money. Gals should work in admin. And she stayed for two years trying to move back into sales and management, but they refused. And so this was an important case. Um, and and I, I also had a similar situation in LA where I was working on really big parts and on very little and they didn't, they were, I don't know what their problem was because I used cranes, I was doing fine, and they tried to move me into inspection, but I had a union and filed a grievance, so you're always having to struggle against that. So we had originally come up with this um, presentation for Equal Pay Day, but since it's Latina Pay Day, still the calculation is very similar. The date we are celebrating today is the day that's how far into 2019 that a Latino woman has to work to make what, on average, men make in 2018. By the end, right? That's how much more work she has to do to pull in the same amount of pay compensation as a white male, right? Um, and again, the way the calculation is made is we look at median earnings. That means exactly half people 
uh, uh, women are above and half people are below that amount. That's how they determine what a median earning is. We compare it women's earning to men, men's earning and we show you what the earnings ratio is or what the, the gap winds up being. Um, and that's how they calculate out what day to celebrate. And, and this is the response when someone's like, it's not the average, it's not, you say it's the median, right? right? Because that's the often the counterpoint. Because if it's an average, a really high yeah, outlier yeah. could pull up. Yeah, Jeff Bezos numbers. lives in our county, so the average income here is like a million dollars, right? Everyone's making a million dollars? No. Different, than different, different. very different, right? So, uh, and again, when we do this, the only number that they're calculating into it is their salaries from full-time work. So we're trying to compare apples to apples as much as possible. But you're, you're bound to get people who will quibble about it. But this is what this means. So, um, yes. So you can see the difference. Um, the, the comparator, as Linda said, is non-Hispanic white men. They're the largest demographic group in the, tech, in the workforce. And you can see that the smallest gap is for Asian women, um, and, and the largest is for Latina and Hispanic women who are paid 53% of what white men were paid. Um, and then uh, we've also, it's not on this slide, but we also looked at uh, sexual orientation and gender identity. And, and when people transition from male to female, do you think there's a drop in pay or the pay's the same? A drop. Drop. There's a drop. What about for female to male, there's no difference or even a small increase. And disability status, too, it's important to look at that as well. Um, and so if we did uh, eliminate the gender pay gap, it would significantly mitigate the poverty rate. So this is a huge... Um, huge, this would go a long way to making sure that there's economic equality. <clears throat> um, we included this slide to also, uh, you know, as a follow-up to what we were just talking about, to acknowledge that um, the wage gap can be inflected by many things, not just gender, right? And um, here we're talking about how an intersection of factors can impact people. Um, Actually, we have a couple of cases, um, including one that was handled at the EEOC, where um, basically, in essence, what these cases boil down to is, you know, very much EEOC, we're talking about, were you treated differently from someone similarly situated to you? And in the cases I'm referring to, you have an African-American woman. So what, who are her comparators? And as it turned out in these particular cases, if you compared the way she was treated, you could say, oh, well, they treat women all right, but the women who were treated better than her were white women. Or you could say, oh, well, let's look at how they treat African-Americans. There are these other people who are treated just fine. And in her particular case, she was the African-American woman. She was treated worse than her white women uh, peers and her African-American co-workers. So there can definitely be cases where you know, you're thinking about comparators, you're thinking about what the difference is, 
and when it's that intersection, that's where this person is, is catching a different treatment because of the intersection of these factors. Oh, I got it. It's working. Yeah. Okay, so you do that. And again, as we look at different factors that may impact uh, wage discrimination, something else that has been talked about is what about whether or not you have children, right? Um, and so here is an illustration of rates of, um, of, of the wage gap between women who have kids versus women who don't have kids, right? Um, so uh, for instance, just to illustrate that, um, workers in, in certain um, industries with large wage gaps, um, for instance, they say that they value those who de develop constructive and cooperative working relationships, right? Um, and that their company generally determines their task priorities and goals. And in those types of environments, it can be typical for there to be steep penalties if you have <coughs> an interruption in your career, which is something that can happen if you take time off to have a child. You know, so for instance, in the law profession, um, they found that a year being out of the labor force for a year could result in an 8.4% salary reduction. So here's another way that the gender gap can be exacerbated. Here's another sort of particularization of the wage gap. So, oh, oh, oh. Ah, sorry about that. That's okay. Okay. Yeah, so this is really dramatic. And this, there was a, re, a fairly recent, uh, about a year ago, Mercury News article. In Santa Clara County, the wage gap is 62 cents. So that's really low. To the, uh, to the dollar, To the right? dollar that the white male is earning, yes. And uh, Contra Costa, it's 70. San Francisco is up at 83. Um, and we're the third worst in California. So really? we're the worst <laughs> in the Bay Area, yeah. Here we are. And uh, for computers and math, it's 72 cents, but there's a very low uh, percentage of women. Women don't usually stay in those fields very long. So I think that's really dramatic uh, that we're so low. So we, again, we're just trying to paint a picture for you of how different factors can impact it. So there's intersection with other protected categories like race and ethnicity. There's whether or not you have kids. And there's geography. All of these things may impact um, the way you experience or other people experience the wage gap. Um, Yes. So, um, how many of you are familiar about the uh, familiar with the women's soccer team and their advocacy for equal pay? I do remember that moment when they won, and then people were like, "Equal pay, equal pay." Yeah. Right. Well, in 2016, high-profile members of the U.S. women's soccer team filed a complaint against the. Uh, Soccer Federation with the EOC. Uh, the EOC never issued a decision and the women signed a collective bargaining agreement. And uh, Solo filed her own case in 2018 with similar complaints. 
Um, and on International Women's Day, March 8, 2019, 28 members of this uh, women's team filed a lawsuit against U.S. soccer, and they alleged a policy and practice of discriminating against members of the women's national team on the basis of gender under the Equal Pay Act in Title VII, and as you'll learn later, people bring those two together because they have different proofs and standards. So they say that if men and women's team won each of the 20 non-tournament games that they're contractually required to pay, women team players would earn a max of 99000 which is $4,950 per game, and men would earn $263,320, which is $13,166 per game. And this suit also states that from 2013 to 16, women's, women players earned $15,000 for making the national team, and men earned $55,000 in 2014, and $68,750 in 2018. So, um, they say it's tied to revenue that the men's tournament brings in more. Do you think that's fair? Because how is the men's tournament? Are they very good? No. <laughs> Here's what they say. There's the revenue so difference. Six billion versus that 101 a, million. But, but look people, at the price money. But people watch the women's game. You know, people are excited about the women's game. Whoever talks about the men's game, too, so, um, yeah. And they're frustrated because they feel there's institutional favoritism. And they scheduled two men's tournaments on the same day as the Women's World Cup. And Megan Rapinoe said, if you really care, are you letting the gap grow? Are you scheduling three finals on the same day? No, you're not. Are you letting federations have their teams play two games in the four years between each tournament? No, you're not. I really like her. That's what I mean about the level of care. You need attention and detail and the best minds that we have in the women's game, helping it grow every single day. So um, in addition to looking at equal pay uh, and the fight for it in um, sports, We'll bring you an example in terms of academia. So, um, ironically enough, right, you think law professors, she should know what her rights are, she should know what's going on. Um, there was a case recently settled um, against the University of Denver. Um, um, Lucy Marsh was looking into um, pay disparity, and, and, and what they found was on average, um, the female law professors were making 20000 less than their male counterparts, right? Um, EEOC filed suit in 2016, and it settled just uh, last year for $2.66 on behalf of seven female law professors. Um, I think it's interesting, this is embarrassing, um, when this lawsuit was, uh, yeah, when, the, when this lawsuit was proceeding to court, maybe before it was filed, um, the school was getting publicly shamed and embarrassed. And they had the termity, or termity, they had the balls yeah. to <laughs> say that Marcia's salary was lower because of her substandard performance in scholarship, teaching, and service. 
Now, if you look at Marcia's uh, resume, she's received an Excellent in Teaching Award and Professor of the Year Award. She has 13 publications. Um, you know, she set up a project to take law students to mountain uh, reservations to write wills for tribal members. You know, she got a special award for pro bono service from the Colorado Supreme Court in 2015. Um, that's what they're calling substandard performance in scholarship teaching and service. Right, right, what is going on? And I'll bet you that she did about 50 to 60% more of the service yeah. in, uh, on, and definitely emotional labor on uh, her, her campus. So students, you can go to male professors too and ask them for help as well, right? Not that you shouldn't go to your female professors, but this, it's like un, women tend to do a lot of unrecognized uh, emotional labor as well in that work. Yeah, and I've noticed that sexual harassment cases equal pay. Suddenly they become, the plaintiffs become the worst performer, and you've seen that too, in the world. And I'm always happy when there's a stream of evaluations just before that where they're like off the scale amazing, and then all of a sudden, within a month after, they're on a performance improvement plan. And in one of my cases, they were so anxious they fired her before the end of the performance improvement that they said. <laughs> Meaning okay. she got paid. She got paid, yeah. Okay. She right. got paid. <laughs> when, when you say settled to them, oh, I'm yeah. like, oh, is that? No, settled, it means that they didn't even have to go to trial. They, they paid her the money. Because before you go to trial, there's a settlement conference to see whether they're willing to give you the money. Yeah, they did. OK, um, so how many of you um, have, uh, are familiar with Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Williams and their case. Yeah, this was a little way back. Um, well, what happened was, have you heard, did you know about Kevin Spacey, what happened to him? He's an actor, and uh, he uh, was involved in uh, sexual, uh, there were accusations of sexual harassment against him, um, and they, they were they were pretty credible, <laughs> and so um, he was fired, and so they had to replace him in this film, All the Money in the World, and so because of his sexual misconduct. So they had to reshoot the, the scene, certain scenes he was in. So Michelle Williams was the female star, Mark Wahlberg was the male star. So for the reshooting the, um, the scene, he got this much and she got that much. And they were represented by and They had the same attorney, the same okay. talent agency. They had the exact same talent agency. So it's not like one talent agency was just an amazing negotiator and the other one was just horrible. It's that they, the, even the talent agency thought he was worth more. And they, she was the star just like he was. So according to Forbes, between 2016 and 17, the world's 10 highest paying actresses made 172.5 million. The highest, you probably know by now, paid actors made a lot more. They made 488.5 million. So, and Wahlberg topped the men's ranking in those years. Um, and he was named, of course, by Forbes, the most overpaid actor, but he still made all that money. The highest paid woman act, female actor, Emma Stone, earned less than 
half as much. And she, the amount she made wouldn't even earn her a place in the men's. And, and Natalie Portman um, said, compared to men in most professions, women make 80 cents to the dollar. In Hollywood, we're making 30 cents to the dollar. So this is showing that Hollywood, which sets the standard and really has an oversized cultural influence, that it's that the wage gap is there and that uh, inequality between women and men um, permeates that culture. Um, so, you know, we we're just talking about Kevin Spacey. Um, Me Too is, I think, still very prominent in our culture. I think we can't talk about uh, the wage gap and uh, sex discrimination without bringing up uh, the issue of sexual harassment. Because um, if you think about it, very often when people talk about sexual harassment, they get caught up on the sex part of it, right? Because that's sexy. But if you think about it, what drives all, you know, the stories time and time again have been people who do something they love and are driven out of that industry because they don't want to have to put up with that kind of treatment, right? So um, it's been very highly publicized in terms of Hollywood and to some degree in politics, but sexual harassment in many different industries, that kind of, you know, if you think about the final impact, that too is a form of cutting in at the amount of women who come into an industry, who decide to stay versus move on. And, and if you have not very many women in there, it makes it harder to, to, to stay the course, right? If you have so few allies, if you don't have other people speaking up for you, if all the people who occupy a place of position are not like you. It makes it that much harder to stick. And, so. and it's hard because people are afraid they're going to be retaliated against. I was just talking to two women today because we have an advice line through the Office of Labor Standards Enforcement, and I'm on the English advice line. So, and we have we also have Spanish, Vietnamese, Tagalog, and and Mandarin. But um, two women today I talked to said. They're afraid if they speak out, and they had various issues, but they'll be blackballed, they won't get another job, and so it, they're worried. And they're also worried about being able to prove their case, um, but so therefore they leave. I mean, both of them are looking for jobs now, and that's sad because um, they, should, they should be able to stay. So um, I, it, sexual harassment does impact um, the wage gap. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, uh, anyway. yeah, yeah. And no, uh, so women face a pay gap, uh, gap in almost every line of work. So, um, what do you think this is? Food service. Executive. Wait, is that blood on his hands, the doctor? <laughs> I don't know. That's just <laughs> <laughs> well, I really, I really <laughs> like those ads when, when they said, stay in your lane for the guns. So these, were, these doctors were 
and putting out these ads where they're just covered in blood and it was a gunshot wound. This is our lane, you know, so this kind of reminds me of <laughs> Sorry, that. I didn't notice that before. So, yeah, I hadn't noticed it either. Okay, so um, jobs traditionally associated with men, uh, with men like computer programming and aerospace tend to pay better than traditionally female jobs like nursing and administrative support. Nurses are doing a little better because they're unionized, but they still make a lot less than these traditionally male jobs. And I think teachers, especially elementary school teachers, but even high school teachers, I mean, they make very, very little, and they are unionized, so it's, it's not that. It's that they think of them as women's jobs. And um, when you look at, the, even in jobs where there's the same skill, effort, and responsibility, men make more. For example, parking lot attendants are paid more than childcare workers, which is really hard to believe because your car safety is worth more than a child. And women have started to enter jobs that were once occupied by men, but there's still a difference. And I mentioned I was a machinist. It was a while ago, but I've been like Googling machinists and women, and they're complaining about the same things. There's occupational segregation, which is basically that you know women are in certain jobs and men are in certain jobs. And it could be that they feel more comfortable, because I remember I did really well in biology, and my parents were, were immigrants, and I didn't know any women in science. So I went into English, because I met women who were in English. And I think people tend, if they don't have role models, to feel more comfortable going into something that's more traditional. Yeah. Again, I realized, go ahead and play with the, the little um, fortune tellers if you want to explore that connection between how many of the workforce are female versus male and what does the wage gap look like. I think the smallest wage gap here um, is in uh, the construction industry. Um, but uh, note that women are maybe 2.5% of the workforce. So what does that do to the numbers? What's that, what does that do to your sample size, right? Um, so given all that, right, we, we started this question of what would you do with if you had that much more in your pocket? Um, and so we're calling up um, that amazing advocate um, Lily Ledbetter. How many of you are familiar with Lily Ledbetter? Have you ever heard of this person before? There's a law named after her. I have to say, it was one of my career highlights to get to meet. to meet her. Lily yeah. Ledbetter, our, our Equal Pay Coalition, hosted her for a lunch. and it, So this is who Lily Ledbetter is, since you don't know who she is. Lily Ledbetter, um, she has a biography. I highly recommend it. I read it with my, my daughter. and. Um, she worked as the manager at a Goodyear tire company. She was the plant manager. She worked her way up, you know, and she worked hard. Um, close to her retirement, she found an anonymous note in her locker that told her how much her male peers were making. And she was being paid far less than that. Right? Like, right, how do you find out about something like that? It's, we don't talk about it, we don't get that information. It seems like there are these accidents. Like I know my friend talked about one tech coming on the copy machine. So 
somebody had left the pay chart in the copy machine. That's how she realized she was being paid less as a female surgeon than her male companion. So it often seems to be some accident that reveals this information. She decided she needed to fight, and she took her fight um, to court. She took, came and filed with the EEOC, and she won. She won this huge victory. The jury awarded her millions of dollars, and then Goodyear took it to the Supreme Court. And they argued, oh, well, she ran, so when you file a complaint, we'll talk about this more, when you file a complaint with the EEOC, you have a deadline. You know, you have to file within a certain timeline from the last date of discrimination. You know, and Goodyear was like, oh, well, she got these paychecks so long ago. She's out of her deadline. They didn't say we didn't discriminate against her. They're like, oh, she missed her deadline, right? And so I just wanted to um, say to you something that she has said, which is, you know, the reason she took on this fight, right, was, you know, why? Those pennies up add up to real money, right? If you, you sometimes see our image and we're like, 80 cents to the dollar, right? Pocket change. But if you add it up, those pennies add up to real money. It's real money for the little things, like being able to take your kids to the movies, and for the big things, like sending them to college. It's paying your rent this month and paying the mortgage in the future. It's having savings for the bill you didn't expect and savings for the dignified retirement you've earned. So that is what made her decide to fight it out. It took her how many years? Like 10 years, eight to 10 years to get all the way up to the Supreme Court. And then the Supreme Court took her jury award away. She got nothing, nothing. Cause they're like, oh, that's the way the law is written. We got 180 days. Yeah, and she she, it, she had worked all that length of time, so the 180 days had passed, and it's not from the day she learned about it, it's from the day she started working. Yeah, yeah. right? So, so that was an injustice to the state. She hasn't gotten a dime for her fight, but instead, she got a law named after her. The first, first piece yeah. of legislation that Obama signed was called the Lilly Ledbetter Act. And it was in response to that theft by the Supreme Court where they decided that in honor of her, not just for gender, but for any violation, a wage gap like this, the deadline is renewed with each discriminatory paycheck, each paycheck reflecting that then the clock starts over. That's what she won for everybody. She went up there, testified in front of the Supreme Court. She was amazing. She's a great speaker. So if you ever get a chance to hear her speak or if you have a chance to read her story, she's a remarkable person. Um, and so now we're coming to what does the law say? Um, uh, I get to talk about this because I work for a federal agency and these are the laws that we enforce. Um, you know, in 1963, they passed the Equal Pay Act, which is limited. <laughs> uh, fortunately, in California, which Ruth will talk about, um, though that's a much more robust law. 1964, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. That's the law um, that was the result of civil rights struggle, which created my agency, the EEOC, and gave us um, Title VII, um, and then also the Lilly Ledback Better Act. So when we're talking about wage discrimination, you may be able to call upon any of these three laws or a combination of them 
And here, in quick summary, are some of the different, right? All of them may be used to fight wage discrimination. They may have slightly different standards of proof and remedies and deadlines. You don't have to be the expert. Just know if there, there are laws that protect you from uh, wage discrimination. And then the main thing about the Lilly Ledbetter Act is each time you get that discriminatory paycheck, the clock is reset, right? So that is a quick comparison of what you should know about these laws. EPA is strictly about gender discrimination, wage-based discrimination. Title VII includes wage discrimination based on um, race, uh, religion, national origin, color. Um, what about sexual orientation? Well, the Supreme Court's looking at that right now. So great question, right? Um, EEOC for a long time did not, you know, we have sex, right? We have sex, and it took a while for us to develop this theory that based on, you cannot treat somebody differently based on stereotypes about sex. And therefore, shouldn't that cover gender identity and sexual orientation? So it has been EEOC's position that when you talk about not discriminating on the basis of sex, that should include sexual orientation and gender identity. And that has been our position. Well, the current administration does not agree with us, and they're going up against us. And this case is actually in front of the Supreme Court right now. There's a case on sexual orientation, and there's a case on um, gender identity. And so we'll see what happens. But thankfully, in California, it's explicitly protected. Yeah. So whenever I see people uh, crying about what's happening at the Supreme Court, I always write, um, but we're in California, and we have always been protected, um, gender identity, sexual orientation, and that isn't going to change at all. And we're getting laws that are better and better. Um, so this Fair Pay Act is very exciting because I mentioned comparable worth, um, a janitor versus a maid. Um, so that's, so it doesn't have to be the same. It also has race and ethnicity. It also has that they can't ask you about your salary. So um, it's, it's really significant. But you should also file Title VII for, for the federal, but for us there's the Fair Employment and Housing Act and you should also file it as gender discrimination or race discrimination. While we're here, I wanted to tell you, even though it's not exactly on point, sexual harassment, it is improved. So our law, finally. So it used to be, um, as of two years ago, that if you were sexually harassed, except for rape or something, once or twice, that wasn't enough. You know, you couldn't bring a claim which is just absolutely ridiculous. It had to be pervasive, frequent, or severe rape, something like that. But this last year, we're finally making it into you know, the modern world. One time may be enough, so that, that's good. The other thing is, have uh, any of you heard about these NDAs, Trump and his NDAs, non-disclosures? How many of yeah, you've heard of them? Yes. Confidentiality clauses, we call it. As of this year, no confidentiality clauses are allowed in sexual harassment cases. So we have made 
some progress. I just settled a sexual harassment case and I told the opposing uh, counsel, we're not having a confidentiality clause in here, are we? And she knew that she couldn't put one in there. So that is, I think, unless you don't want to. I mean, it, it's supposing the person who brings the claim doesn't want, wants it to be confidential. They still have that right. You know, I just brought this up so I wouldn't forget. Since we were talking about Lily Ledbetter, um, I just want to make things hopefully not confusing. So if you feel like you've been discriminated against, say it's equal pay or some other issue, you have the right to file a claim with EEOC or with DFEH. And we have a memorandum of understanding. So if you file with one agency, you can be duly filed under both federal and state law. We kind of share information back and forth. It'll be investigated by one agency. Maybe, so there are some differences in the law. So you might be like, how do I decide where to go, where to come? You know, there may be other ways of thinking about it, but here's one basic difference. In California, because we have a memorandum of understanding with the D California DFEH, in Cal California, you have 300 days. Across the country, in some places, it's only 180 days. But in California, you have 300 days from the last date of discrimination to come in and file a complaint with us. With the California DFEH, you have one year. I used to write 365 days, and they said, no, in leap year, you get the extra day. So it's one year. <laughs> and, okay, one other thing. If you, this is relevant because you may know young people, you may be young people. If you experienced discrimination or harassment as a teen, the law, uh, the California law recognizes that young people might not know what their rights are. So you have one year after your 18th birthday if it happened to you when you were like 16, you have until before your 19th birthday to file a complaint. So this is really important information Except I think, for you to know. starting January, you have three years. For everything? Oh. Anybody got a okay, like Now they're like, now I got a claim. <laughs> okay, but I, I, okay, there are some differences in laws. For sexual harassment, you can name the harasser. Um, there isn't a limit on damages. However, I want to make a plug for the EOC. First of all, it's in San Jose. For some, who knows what reason, the Department of Fair Employment and Housing is in Fremont, and in Elk Grove, and in LA, and that's it in California. So that's a long way to go. And I think, are they taking charges in person, or are they mostly taking it over the phone? Mostly over the phone, and even their mediations sometimes are over the phone. Yeah, so yeah. I, if you want so the, to if walk you wanted, in. If you want to walk in and you want a real person, plus they're dual filed, so you can still go uh, to court. They have a wonderful mediation program. They have amazing <laughs> investigators. I mean, before I went to the federal government, that's probably the same with you, because yours has been so long. Um, I didn't know, you know, you hear all these things about government workers. Well, you just, you cannot imagine how conscientious, wonderful, caring, um, committed to social justice, fair, and I mean, you can see Linda and the lawyers are just like that. Um, it just, it's very inspiring. And I realized we started this training without me introducing my colleague. <laughs> Do you want to just introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Andrea Nunez, and I am an investigator here at the Center for Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. We're just on um, Third Street, 96 North Third Street. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we have great staff, we have bilingual staff, yeah. we have really committed, caring people. So again, if you file with EEOC, that's not to say your state claims go away since you can dual file. So don't feel like um, that's close to you. And if you have questions, where should I file? You could always go to the legal clinic that Ruth helps oh, yes. to meet. It's at Santa Clara University Law School. It's at 103 the Alameda. So it's one street past race in the Alameda if you go towards downtown. And uh, we typically have these clinics on Tuesday night. And, and we have law students who interview you with a ton of volunteer attorneys who advise them. So um, yeah, I can give you the information on that. Or you could call the advice line as well. I just want to do a time check because I know we're a little past where we should yeah. be. We could take questions now or we could continue. We had some like best practices. Yeah, let's take take we questions could. and then maybe Yeah, we, we maybe have, what to look out for and then I think I know some folks gotta go. Well yeah. the, there is one thing we probably should talk about the start smart. Just Oh we'll have so yes, in the spring and we're gonna have one in the spring. Yeah. There's gonna be a a workshop for uh, folks to uh, develop their negotiation skills. Um, so it's the Start Smart, but with cash money as the dollar sign there for the S. Um, but there's a training online, and we also have them on campus. I would encourage you to sign up through um, uh, the Career Center and I think Handshake or something like that. Um, but yeah, learning how to ask for what you are worth. Well, first, learning to recognize your worth, and second, um, developing skills to know how to negotiate is important, especially as you transition from an hourly wage context to a career um, where you may be a salary, but it's secretly a way that you will probably undervalue yourself unless you ask for um, benefits. It's, 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 a, it's a difficult challenge, but no one taught me how to do that. And as a result, my my retirement and financial planning is not as robust as it should be because I was like, it's cool, I'll just wait till the next job. And I see you shaking your yeah. head. That is the attitude that I should have had. So and learn we, from my mistakes, please. <laughs> and, and we've both been through the training actually here at San Jose State, I think. We, I know I went through it's it here. It's a fabulous And they training. now have it online, and it is, it's an amazing training. It gives you confidence. It gives you different techniques and strategies. And I think Everyone it's good for women and, and men. men and it's definitely good in terms of getting over talking about your paycheck like with other people, which I was raised not to do. Yeah. And then I was Even like, oh, wait, daughter, you're not getting a third yeah. of what you're getting paid. That makes no sense. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, OK. Are there any questions? Are any of y'all in the service industry right now? Like waiting tables? How many people are working right now? How many of you hold jobs right now? OK. What sort of industry? Oh, I'm an independent contractor, so I guess I'm are you really an independent contractor? <laughs> yes, yes. I work for Uber and I also work for a nonprofit. Oh, the the labor commission does not consider you an independent contractor. Mm -hmm. There's this new ABC test. It's AB five. As long as you're in the same industry as you know you're working in, which you are, they say they're an app and you're rideshare. But 
the government hasn't agreed. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be right? interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be interesting. What industry? Um, customer service. Uh huh. Customer service. Anybody else? I'm a behavioral technician, so I guess education. 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 Um, yeah, so I'm hoping this information is information you can use. Um, and if you have feedback on what would make it more practical, were there things you were hoping we would cover um, that we didn't quite get to? Do you have any remaining questions? Do you think Do you think you'll be able to apply any of what we talked about to your lives? Did yeah. You, what did you learn that, that you didn't know before? Yes. yes. I love the image of the movie. Oh, great. I didn't know about that before, but I know um, I have tried to advocate for myself in the past. And something as simple as a deadline or like missing one little thing because I did not know cost me the whole case because yeah. of that. So it's just, I mean, knowledge is power. And even just looking into it, which I'm going to do when I get home, um, it can empower you to act when you do see something. So later on, I mean, thanks to Hertz, it's not going to be an issue much. but. Just in case you do go through something, you, you know or have read about somebody who went through the same thing, what to do. And it's always good, like, I'm doing this advice line, and I was looking at the times, like, I've been spending 45 minutes, 55 minutes, because we're looking at all the options, because that's what our job is, to tell people the options. So if, you know, you want to, there's three lawyers out there that are willing to sort of brainstorm with you about what every single option is and what the downside. And we don't just look at the legal stuff. If you're still working there, you might want to think there's a three-year statute of waiting, or you may want to do it in a certain way, or if you want to negotiate a severance, you might want to do it a certain way, or you may not want to, you know, go forward. Um, so I think it's there's a lot of things to look at, and I think it's always good to try to brainstorm, but you're right. If you don't know, there's so many laws on, there's so many laws on the books, and if we don't know what they are, then you know we really there is a problem, and that's why the county is actually paying in the Vietnamese community. It's probably not, no, I think I have to sound up. Vietnamese community, Filipino community, and the Day Worker Center. They're they're uh, they're they have contracts with them to do outreach and education so people know what their rights are. And I know the EOC does this, and Linda is just fabulous at it. So um, yeah, you can keep your eyes open, too, where there's trainings. Um, some of the stuff on the internet isn't all that good, but you can get general ideas, and you can look for reputable sources. Because I do that for medical, because you know I think in high school they should have taught us about equal pay, a little bit about the law, and a little bit of medicine. And I think lawyers hang on to that knowledge, and doctors do too, because they don't want to make it available to everybody. And I think that's bad. So I'm just skipping ahead to our concluding slide. It sounds like we're kind of reiterating some of the things you said here, but we think, you know, when it comes to doing your salary, take the workshop. Um, and you'll learn how to do better research, negotiate, you know, maybe it's important, now that you have this information, share it with other people. 
check in with other people, make them do the cootie catcher with you, see if they knew about this stuff, make them outraged, you know. Um, I think it's so important to know what your rights are, um, and you have great resources like the clinic. You can always come and file a complaint with EEOC or DPH or the California Labor Commissioner. Um, and also, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but there's some great people who are innovating out there. I, we won't do a deep dive into it, but like, for instance, we encountered this entrepreneur who encountered discrimination as she was going out into work and then decided to take her technology and create a new service to try to reduce uh, discrimination out there. What her app does is it removes information from people's resumes that might cause bias. So in essence, she's now consulting with companies to make sure they don't treat other candidates the way she was treated. So again, there's a lot of different ways. Everybody has a different skill set. Bring something different to it. We're hoping that this information is useful to you, that you will share with other people, and that you'll continue to educate yourself. And, and with orchestras, I don't know if you've heard, but there weren't many women on there. So they started having them audition behind a curtain. So you couldn't, you've heard of that. So you couldn't tell if it was a woman or a man. And the women were getting into the orchestra now. So um, and that's not the whole story. I guess oh, they had to replace the flooring. It used to yeah. be hardwood oh, flooring for the stage. The but they would still hire too many men for the orchestra, even after covering oh, with the, okay. the yeah. curtain because they could still heal the, yeah, the high heels. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yet another plug for flats. The, the, the statistic was once they instituted a screen where instead of auditioning people where you could see them, once they instituted a screen, it was supposed to increase women's chances of being hired by 50%. But I heard the but, high heels part But then too. The, yeah. the high heel thing gave that. it away, right? So I think that's what this notion of blend door, it kind of buys into that notion of how do you do a blind audition? How do you do the equivalent of that screen for resumes? And so there are people who are innovating and exploring that, and maybe that's the direction you take this information in. Um, yeah. yeah, so thank you so much. If for you your have time. questions. Oh, and and just oh, one quick thing. So now with Trump, people are really empowered to act on their biases and their racism and sexism. So I'm seeing so much more now of people saying things that maybe they thought but didn't feel were acceptable. And um, so it, hopefully they do it in text so we can use it as evidence or in emails. <laughs> That's what I always hope. But um, in any case, we do live in very challenging times now. So you have so to preserve be aware. And think document, document. Document what's yes, happening and what happens. Yes. Um, and any advice from our investigator? And you can also file a claim online too, right? through the portal. So if you are interested in advocating for yourself or others, you are free to contact me. I'm uh, Edith Kinney at SJC.edu, and I'd be happy to connect you with our, our yeah, speakers. But let's thank them for their time and expertise.